Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. This is part two of a five-part series. If you haven't listened to part one, we recommend going back and doing that first. And if you don't want to wait for the rest of the series, consider joining us on Patreon, where the entire series is available right now. Let's jump straight in. Are you ready? Here we go. I adored my grandmother when I was young. I was excited for her to come and stay with us after my dad passed. We loved it because she let us do whatever we wanted. But when her mind started to slip, that joy started to fade. She was showing signs of real decline, a fogginess of the mind. Sometimes she forgot what she was doing in the middle of a task. But early on, it only happened every once in a while. Most of the time, she was still as sharp as she'd ever been. Most of the time. She was from the eastern part of the state, up in the mountains. For most of her life, she'd lived out in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes, when her mind began to slip a little, she told us stories from back home. Stories that she probably shouldn't have been telling my brother and I at that age. She would look out at the tree line, way back at the end of our property. She went somewhere else in her mind. She told us about things that lived in the forest outside the little town where she grew up. She never told us exactly what they were, but she said that there were rules to follow if you had to be out in the trees. She said never whistle in the forest. It was like an invitation. If an animal feels off or wrong, apologize for disturbing it and walk away. Don't look too hard in between the trees at night. And no matter what, if you're alone in the woods and someone calls your name, never, ever answer them. Run home as fast as you can. My brother was a few years younger than me, and he'd always relied on me when he got scared. When he was little, he used to say he heard voices at his window. He was sure there was something out there, but he'd grown out of it. But the night she told us that story, after we'd all gone to bed, I heard a little knocking at the door, and then my brother peeked in. It was the first time in years that he'd been scared enough to ask to come and stay with me. I pulled back the covers, and he climbed in. Then, safe and warm, with his big sister to protect him, he fell fast asleep. I wasn't used to sharing a bed, and I don't think I slept all that night. I remember laying on my side, facing the window, looking out at the night. I was the big sister. It was my job to watch out for him and keep him safe. But even so, after Grandma's stories, 
I found myself trying to avoid looking out the window toward the woods at the back of the property, trying not to look too hard between the trees. The next morning, I asked Mom if what Grandma had said was real. She sat me down and told me that the only things in the trees behind our house were bunnies and deer. I smiled, pretending to be reassured. But I still wasn't sure. As an adult, I've tried to shed, or maybe just hide, a lot of who I was back home. I've softened my accent. I live in a big city. But even so, I sometimes still think back to my grandmother's stories. And I'll look out on the orange lights of Chicago. And I'll feel as isolated and alone as I ever have. In my mind, I'm right there. In my old bed. A little girl again. I tried to go back to sleep that morning, for a little while, but I couldn't stop thinking about the figure I saw at the edge of the woods. It was probably someone just passing through. Kids cutting through the fields, maybe. Our appointment with the funeral home was set for 10 a.m. I was still lying awake when I heard my brother's phone alarm go off in the other room. We drove in silence to the funeral home still feeling last night's wine. This was the part I'd been dreading, the part where we'd have to make decisions. This is where I felt out of my depth and out of control. I don't like either of those feelings. We met with the funeral home director. I still remembered him from when I was in high school. I'd gone to school with his kids. I shouldn't have been surprised by how old he looks now, but I was. The world doesn't stop moving just because I moved away. He explained the whole process. He was professional and comforting, a skill developed over a lifetime in this line of work. He was good at what he did. Mom had already bought the spot next to my dad in the town cemetery, so that part was easy. They'd already made up little sample programs with her name, Angela. It was always strange to see her full name. She'd always gone by Angie. They walked us through how the visitation service would work and showed us options for caskets. I felt bad because my lack of sleep meant that I wasn't as focused as I would have liked to have been. But all in all, it went well. The part that I thought would be the scariest was over. But as we discussed the visitation service, something new took its place. Somehow, I hadn't allowed myself to consider that we'd have to stand up in the front and greet all of my mom's visitors. I'd been to funerals before. I knew how it worked. But I'd blocked that part out. In addition to all of my mom's loved ones, I knew that another group of people would likely be there. Everyone I'd known in high school, at least the ones that stayed in town. And worse, it would be over the holiday.
so even people who hadn't stayed in town could turn up. God damn it. After the meeting, my brother dropped me back off at Mom's house. He was going back to the city to grab a few days' worth of clothes. Why he hadn't packed in the first place was beyond me, but that's just always who he'd been. He said he'd be back that night, but I knew he might wait to drive back until the morning. It occurred to me that I had no idea what his life in Lexington was like, not any more than he knew about my life in Chicago. Now that we were the only ones left, it felt like that should change. The storm the night before had blown in cold air. The temperature dropped to nearly freezing. My weather app said that tomorrow it would be back in a normal range. This time of year, the weather's unpredictable. It was a little before noon. I ate lunch, and when I finished, I laid down on the couch and fell sound asleep. I woke up to the sound of my brother coming in the front door. I groaned and rolled over, pressing my face into the couch cushion. My brother's apartment in Lexington was an hour away. If he'd been there and come back, how long had I been asleep? I took a heavy breath before rolling back over and opening my eyes. Mm. What time is it? There wasn't a response. I raised up and glanced into the kitchen. He wasn't there, but the front door was cracked open. I stood up, feeling alarmed. I thought of the figure I'd seen at the back of the property this morning. Did someone else come in? I slowly made my way to the door, and when I got there, I peeked outside. The only car in the driveway was my rental. My heart was racing, and the edges of my vision went red with adrenaline. I needed to get out of here. I was in a panic. My keys. Where are my keys? Just then, down by the road at the end of the driveway, I saw something. My brother's car pulling in. I ran outside and I stood in the driveway. I left the door standing wide open. I stood there in the cold, without my coat or shoes, waiting as he took his time coming up the drive. He had no idea anything was wrong. Why would he hurry? The whole time, I kept my eyes on the front door. Hey, uh... What are you doing? I think someone might be in the house. What? His expression changed as he registered what I'd said. Uh, are, are you sure? Mm-hmm. He rushed to his car and opened the back door. He produced a baseball bat from the floorboard. Wait here. He marched inside and I waited in the driveway. I watched the door for what felt like forever. There was no sound from inside. On the horizon, there were dark clouds again. It was far away, 
but another storm would be rolling in. There was a feeling on the wind. I'm not sure how long it was, but he eventually came back out. I looked in every closet and under every bed. There's no one here. When we were back inside, I told him what had happened. I was sleeping on the couch, the door opening. He suggested that maybe it just didn't latch all the way when he left. The wind was picking up, and it must have pushed it open. It made sense. I didn't check it before I laid down. But I told him I could feel it. I just knew. There was a presence in the house. We walked through the house again, together this time. It's not that I don't trust him. I guess I just needed to see for myself. We had a meeting with Mom's lawyer that afternoon. He offered to meet us at the house instead of his office. The will was simple. My brother and I would split everything. Her lawyer also brought over the contents of a safety deposit box from Mom's bank. We didn't know she had one and probably wouldn't have thought to ask. Among other things, there were two envelopes in the box, our names written on them, Donovan and Holly. Are we supposed to open these now? It's up to you. They're personal, not a part of the will. Is there anything else you need from us? Nope, that's all. You know, I went to school with your mom, and she was always a very kind, very earnest person. Yeah, thanks. I wasn't sure what to say. Well, if you need anything else or have any questions, feel free to reach out. We thanked him, and he left. Sometimes I forget that everyone in this town knows each other. I turned the envelope over in my hands. I knew what it was before I even opened it. It was one of those, if you're reading this, letters. And I wasn't ready to open it yet. The funeral was still four days away, the Saturday after Thanksgiving and I had plans to go back to Chicago on Sunday. It felt like forever. I missed my apartment, my friends, my routine. After the lawyer was gone, my brother spoke up. Are you gonna open yours? I told him that I was gonna wait, and I could see the disappointment on his face. Yeah, uh, I'll wait too. So, should we get started? It felt wrong to start taking apart the house, dividing everything into piles, things we would sell, keep, or give away, things that other relatives might want. Since disrupting the feel of the house isn't what either of us wanted, we left the upstairs alone for now and started in the basement. That was going to be the biggest part of the job anyway. We opened up the old boxes, mostly storage, Things you think you might use again, but probably won't. Things you'll give away someday. Holiday decorations waiting for their season to come back around. A thought occurred to me then, that she'd had no idea when she boxed up the Christmas tree 
and put away the wreaths and the lights, that she wouldn't be getting them out again. And in the same way, when Donovan and I left and went our separate ways after last Christmas, we had no idea that it would be the last one. You let your life fall into regular, predictable patterns, and you let yourself believe that they'll go on forever. While we were going through the basement, we found lots of our things from when we were little. Things we'd forgotten all about. But she hadn't. Old toys, tons of photos, our graduations from kindergarten to first grade. I even found that old camcorder mom bought after dad passed. And there were some of my dad's things. Most of it she'd gotten rid of years ago. But there were pictures and little artifacts, things from another time, things that had meaning to them. But now that they're both gone, that meaning is lost to time, and there's no one left to remember it. I've always had a hard time wrapping my head around the impermanence of moments like these. I'd like to believe that all of those moments kind of hang in the air and color a place, like a sort of energy, like a ghost. I just don't think I want to see a bunch of people right now. Come on. It'll be good for us to get our minds off everything for a while. Seriously, it's fine if you go. I'm just not feeling it. There's going to be people you know there, too. It won't just be my friends. Just think about it. I told him I would, but I had no intention of actually going. It was Tuesday. Tomorrow was the night before Thanksgiving. My brother was trying to convince me to go out to the only bar in town. My brother and I are different in a few important ways. He's able to compartmentalize these things, even in the depths of mourning. It's not that he doesn't care. It's more like a release valve for him. And he'll let it out, a little at a time, for however long it takes. But not me. I fall hard, and I'm not in control of the emotions. I crash hard and fast. And then, one day, I wake up and the fog has lifted. The funeral home referred us to a husband and wife team that helps people organize and sell items in estate sales. My brother had already put out a call to them. They'd be available to meet Sunday before I left for Chicago. Anything that we wanted to keep would have to be taken from the house before they started, or it might get mixed up and sold. So we began the process of packing up boxes. We made two piles, things each of us wanted to hang on to. I noticed after a while just how many more photos we had of Mom than Dad. She'd lived longer, so obviously there was just more time. But Dad had died long before smartphones and the ability to take photos and video anytime, anywhere. I had tons of photos and videos of mom on my phone. 
but none of my dad. After a couple of hours, my brother loaded a few of the smaller items from his stack into his car, leaving the rest for another day. He was planning to stay back at his apartment for the night. We needed to get a storage unit and figure out how to get some of the things I wanted to hang on to back to Chicago. I couldn't take it all on the plane. As he started down the driveway, it occurred to me that I'd never seen his apartment or anywhere that he'd lived since he moved away. He'd never seen my place in Chicago either. When I came home to visit, we always just met at mom's house. Are you sure you don't want me to come back? I don't mind if you don't want to be alone there. I told him I'd be fine. The events earlier in the day, the door opening on its own, it was already feeling like a silly little thing. I went back downstairs and kept looking through old photos. I found a photo album from high school. Lots of pictures of me and my friends. One friend in particular, my best friend Erica. There were a couple of years when she was just as much a fixture at the house as me or Donovan. My mom had thought of her as a second daughter, and even well into adulthood, long after I'd moved away, she would ask if we were still in touch, and she'd tell me any time they bumped into each other in town. I moved away for college, but Erica had stayed close. She went to school in Louisville, but came back home, and she's been here ever since. I couldn't help but smile as I flipped through page after page of photos. Sleepovers, school trips, prom night. There was a photo of us in the backyard, in our dresses, hair, and makeup. In the photo, the sun was setting, giving us that perfect lighting. The backyard stretching out forever behind us, the tree line far off in the distance. Erica and I had stayed in touch. We followed each other on all of our social media. She'd messaged me last night, and I'd seen it come through, but I hadn't read it yet. I should write her back. She'll be wondering if it's been too long, and if she overstepped. I pulled the photo from its sleeve, and I used my phone to take a picture of it. I opened up the message Erica sent last night. I wrote, going through mom's things, and attach the photo before hitting send. I decided to call it a day. It was getting late, and I hadn't had much to eat. I noticed my brother had put that old camcorder that Mom bought in his stack of things, along with a box of tapes. I thought it was strange, but I didn't want it, so what did I care? I went upstairs and made a sandwich. The back deck looks over the property. Acres and acres of grass, gently sloping down to the tree line. I thought of mine and Erica's prom photo and looked down at the spot in the backyard where we would have been standing. Just kids, feeling all grown up for the first time. The light was getting low. The sun had already fallen behind the trees. I could feel a coming storm in the air. 
The wind had been picking up all day. This might be the last nice day of the year. I watched absently, the sun falling over the trees, when I heard something. It pulled me out of my daze. I sat up, more alert now. It sounded like my name, but it couldn't have been. Maybe a neighbor calling their dog. It only sounds like my name from a distance and with an echo. This time, I stood up and looked out into the field. I leaned out over the side of the railing to see if there was a car in the driveway. There wasn't. I was about to call out, Hello? Is someone out there? But just before I did, I remembered the stories my grandmother told me when she lived with us. Her rules for when we were playing out back. Never whistle if you're in the forest. Don't look too hard between the trees at night. If an animal looks wrong, apologize for disturbing it and walk away. And if you hear someone calling your name from the trees, don't answer them. There was a moment of pause. The wind died off, and the land and the air seemed to stand still. I stayed there like that for a moment, but then I came to my senses. I cupped my hands around my mouth and yelled. Hello? 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 No answer. I listened for a moment longer. I had an uneasy feeling. The same feeling I'd had earlier in the day. That there was a presence nearby. Like I was being watched. I walked to the patio door and went inside faster than I'd like to admit. It was like the feeling of turning off the basement lights and then running up the stairs. Once I was inside, I still couldn't get comfortable. I tried to distract myself, turning on the TV for background noise, scrolling through my phone. I messaged my friends in Chicago, anything to distract myself. But none of it worked. As the sun set and the windows grew dark, I couldn't shake the feeling, and it was growing into a low-grade panic. The house felt different when my brother was here, less threatening, but he wasn't coming back tonight. I started gathering my things. I wasn't sure where I was going, but the thought of being here as the night grew later and later, I couldn't do it. The whole time it felt silly, it felt childish, but it also felt safe. And right now, I needed to feel safe. Just before the final rays of light disappeared over the western horizon and the orange and pink sky turned to dark, I stepped out the front door and walked quickly to my car, looking over my shoulder and all around me as I went. I checked the back and locked the doors as soon as I was in the driver's seat. I started the car and pointed my headlights down the long driveway toward the county road. 
Every mile from the house, I felt a little safer. I drove into town, all the way through, until I got to the little cluster of gas stations, fast food, and my town's only hotel by the interstate exit. It didn't look like the rest of town, and that was exactly what I wanted. I sat in the parking lot for a little while, just letting myself relax, watching the cars and trucks on the interstate. I told myself it was just for one night. I got myself together and went inside. A girl, maybe college age, maybe a little older, checked me into a room on the second floor. When I look at her, I imagine what my life might be like if I hadn't left. There was a time when I could have been happy here. Before my dad died, I'd really loved this town. All of my friends were here. I didn't mind that it was small. Sure, it was all I knew, but I was happy. Afterward, though, there were so many memories, and they all made me sad. I was more withdrawn from my friends. All of those relationships started to fray. I started to feel detached from this place that I loved. This happens to all kids at some point. The magic of childhood begins to slip away. Kids naturally pull away from their families, too. I'd always blamed my mom and her grief for the distance between us, her inability to give my brother and I what we needed during that awful year. And I think some of that is still true, but maybe I also played a role in it. Maybe that very natural moment when kids start to pull away and look for independence. Maybe that just happened to come along at the worst time in all of our lives and it disguised itself there. One of the curses of adulthood is the ordeal of coming to see the past more clearly than you did in the moment. Coming to see yourself for who you really were. Once I was settled into the hotel room, I opened up the curtains. My room was on the back side of the building, facing away from the interstate and into the vast expanse of darkness beyond. Erica and I had traded a few messages now. She'd said how sorry she was for my loss, how devastated she was when she heard. Of course she was. She and my mom had been so close. She mentioned that she'd be going out to Shelley's, the only bar in town, tomorrow. And if I wanted to come out, she'd love to see me. It was the same place my brother wanted to go, and I still didn't feel like it. But I wanted to see Erica. I told her I'd let her know in the morning. The longer I was away from the house, the more silly it felt to be afraid of it. I got ready for bed, I put on a pair of sweatpants, and just as I was about to close up my suitcase, I noticed something. The letter from my mom, the one that the lawyer had given to my brother and me. I'd put it in there so it didn't get mixed up with the things we were going to put in storage. I thought about opening it up, but it wasn't the right time. Not in a hotel room. It should be somewhere familiar, 
cozy. Somewhere that I can really take in whatever it is she decided she wanted to leave me with. It should be her house, where she probably wrote it. Or my place back in Chicago, where I'd feel at home. Not here. I closed the suitcase, and finally, after being up for almost two days straight, I laid back on the bed, and I fell asleep fast and hard. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you don't want to wait for the rest of the series, it's available on Patreon right now. Join us at patreon.com slash 13pod. There's a link in the show notes. This was part two of The Mist and the Trees, written by Ian Epperson, narrated by Brooke Jeanette. Emma Sherjarko was mom. Nate Dufort was the lawyer. Dustin Parsons was Donovan. Ian Epperson was dad. Music, editing, and sound design by Caleb Ritchie. Assistance from Bridget Freeman. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Delta Tango, Chantel Payne, Nick, Emily Douglas, Stephanie Klinger, and Jay Carr. Thank you so much for your support. Click the link in our show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. And check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. You can also join the Facebook group for 13 Podcast. Just look for the logo, and you'll find links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes, too. Bridget Freeman is watching you from your bedroom door. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.